0: Welcome to Resilience Unraveled. I'm your host, Dr. Russell Thackeray. This podcast is a result of my fascination with health issues, resilience, performance, mental health, accountability, and critical thinking, along with many of the other obsessions I bump into in my life. I spend my time working with highly successful teams, organizations, and people, and this podcast introduces their remarkable stories, as well as my synthesis of the key issues, tips, and strategies to thrive in life. If you find this podcast useful, you can also find other information at qedod.com or russellthackeray.com. Stay tuned to the end for details of how to order a free ebook. Enjoy the podcast. So today I'm talking to Ewan Flynn and um, today's podcast might be a little bit different because normally we're talking about people and their own resilience, but... um, Um, Ewan's got a different take on things. He's written a very interesting book about the um, trials and tribulations of football supporters and um, a lot of my colleagues who are from the world of sports actually will be very approving of the fact that at last I'm working my way into the sort of sports arena because my view of resilience has always been based around sort of performing arts and such like. So I'm hoping Ewan's going to give me and all of you an interesting introduction into the life of um, a football supporter, what that means. But actually, not just um, a football supporter, sports as well. And he'll talk a little bit about um, what um, being a supporter is like, but also different types of sports, ownership models, and all sorts of different pieces, depending on where our conversation goes. So first off, hi, Ewan. Hi, Russell. How are you doing? I'm good. And uh, where in the world are you talking to us from? There's a lot of people in America who uh, listen to this. So where would you, where would you say you're from? Uh, glamorous and beautiful North London, and for those of you in the states listening to you, and he has what's called the North London accent. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, has, I suppose we have to get these things out of the way. Um, football,
1: football team. Who's your football? Who's your football team of choice? Uh, so I'm a, a Tottenham Hotspur Spurs supporter. Um, so I grew up in this part of North London where Spurs play. Um, Favorite yeah, tennis player. Favourite tennis player, uh, absolutely Roger Federer. It's a, an easy choice. So all these people about style, isn't it? And um, yeah. Formula, Formula One? I'm not too big into, into motor racing, to be honest. So no, that's not my cup of tea, really. But um, yeah, tennis you, and football. You both either prefer the sports with balls.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Ian, um, what would you describe yourself as? What you tell, tell us a little bit about your story so far.
1: Yeah, so. Um, I'm basically in a period of transition really Russell, so I've been uh, working for a university in London, um, a really good institution, but I've been there a really long time and sort of away from work I I wrote my book um, which was published last year and I'm kind of at the point, a bit of a crossroads where I want to go in a different direction and concentrate more on writing and the sort of things that I'm passionate about which really is sport and focusing on that um, and yeah as I say moving away from the sort of operational administration work that I've done.
0: And you've written one book already and, and I mean you, you sort of pass that by quite quickly as if it was something that was easy but holding down a full-time job and writing a book that's been successful is no mean task is it so I'm guessing there's quite a lot of personal discipline involved in writing something in your spare I mean, time?
1: Yeah I, I think there is and I, I went on a, a one-day course at The Guardian, which was about sort of beginning writing a book. And it, it was a one-day course, but it just absolutely blew my mind. It was so good. Um, it was by a, a, a writer called Andrew Miller, who's a novelist. And his advice was just, you know, to just get into a habit, of discipline. And, you know, it's simple advice, but often the best advice really is simple. Just get into a routine of writing every day. You know, it doesn't matter what about even, just if you want to write you need to write so get up every day so I used to get up at sort of you know six in the morning and just bash out what I could on the computer every day and that got me into that routine and you know I I can underplay it a little bit but actually I found that I really loved doing it so it didn't feel like work it was I loved writing my book it was just the best sort of feeling I've had and Yeah, that that thing of getting in a routine and just writing. And his other advice, which I think was brilliant, was also not necessarily worrying too much about having a definite structure at the outset. Mm -hmm. But he kind of said, you know, write where you have a sweet spot. Just start where you feel comfortable starting. So, you know, it could be in the middle of the story you want to tell, could be at the end. But just, you know, start there because that gets you going and gets you in a rhythm and, you know, put some words down that you can then build on so i thought it was a brilliant bit of advice and it was you know it was a few hours that course, but it sort of definitely set me on my way to you know sort of year and a half later having a finished book which was an amazing feeling but i'm really grateful to him for that advice we'll get we'll get into the book in a bit uh,
0: um, more detail in a bit but it's, it's it must be quite interesting sort of you know having that generic idea writing what you're interested in and then yeah. seeing a finished product it must be I mean, a real sense of fulfillment and achievement.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I went up um, to Glasgow where the book was actually printed to see it coming off the, the print. And, you know, I, it was just the most incredible. I haven't got kids. Uh, hopefully one day I, I might. But I kind of, I've heard people say that, you know, for, um, for men, the, the closest you get to giving birth is sort of writing a book. I don't know how true that is. But it was, it was such an amazing feeling to see something That you've done you know you've been sitting on your own yeah of piping away for however long it may be and then suddenly there's this moment where even though obviously at that point other people have read it and said you know yeah the publishers have said we're gonna go with it whatever but until you see it actually coming off that sort of production line you you can't believe that it's actually real and then it's it's out there for the world so you're sort of doing something in isolation but then suddenly it all comes to be really, it's just an amazing feeling, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, the grit and
0: determination you have to have is amazing because you must get, you must get fed up, and you must have. I mean, you hear of writer's block and such like, don't you? So I'm assuming you go through all that stuff.
1: Yeah, I think possibly the hardest bit for me was, I mean I was really lucky, but in some ways um, unlucky as well, and that I'm probably made quite a, a bad decision. But being a first-time author i I got a publishing deal quite quickly, but with a with a publishing house who perhaps let's say didn't have the necessary resources to make it what I wanted it to be yeah. and because you know, I was kind of like oh, I was just so thrilled that someone said that it was good and that they wanted to take it, I kind of you know went with them, and then things weren't wow. working out in quite the way I hoped with them, and you know I had some concerns and actually they effectively went bust and just at the point where it was supposed to be coming out and I was you know at the same time I was coming out of a essentially a divorce really i had been together with my partner for 10 years and so it just at that point everything seemed to be collapsing and you know what they say about like maybe you can deal with one problem but when you've got two big ones or three or four that's when you really start to suffer so yeah I had all that going on but then Luckily, um through and this was where I really learnt a valuable lesson about how important, you know, networks and contacts are, someone who um I could who'd given a uh, given me a lot of help during the development of the book put me in touch with a different publishers who then did take it and who are really well connected that meant you know the book got the publicity that I wanted for it, got it into the big bookshops and that yeah, it was just the help that someone gave me at that point was huge because it was in danger of, you know, not working out the way I wanted it to. It's your, it's your classic thing about asking for help as a sign
0: of strength, isn't it? If you don't ask for help, no one, no one helps, do they? So it's useful. Exactly. Exactly. So, <coughs> excuse me. Tell me about the life of a football fan. Tell football me fan. what's the what, is the what is the lot of a football
1: fan? football fan well so my book actually is more about playing football as an amateur footballer but okay. my fandom sort of is all wrapped into that so um you know I I kind of when I was I always want you know like most young British males, I wanted to be a professional footballer. It was never going to happen. Never had anywhere near the talent to do that. But I loved the game, loved playing. So I just kept playing for as I still play now. Um, But I kept sort of playing organised football with my friends, kind of guys that I've gone to school with, you know, some of them that I've known since I was four or five, uh, but mostly through from 11 onwards. And we kept playing, you know, as a team. I went to university and then when I came back to London, kept playing as a team so the book is kind of about our our team and how we sort of rose up through the amateur leagues and what we achieved but yeah that the commitment it takes to to play sort of amateur sport someone's got a volunteer to run the team you know there's kits to wash there's all the stuff the admin that goes around it but it just gives you something so special that sort of sense of community um which you know i think is something that Perhaps we don't find that easily in modern life. You know, do, achieving things with other people isn't necessarily that easy to do. Sort of a lot of pursuits are more solitary now. You know, that's just my interpretation. But I, I do think there's some truth in that. It, it is, but when you achieve something with other people, it's a brilliant, brilliant feeling. So, you know, a team sport just gives you that sense of we we won together you know you lose together as well sometimes but you know winning together is just a brilliant feeling and then out of the book obviously that kind of tells our story as a team but also some of the the players who formed that team and we were we were a good side what it some of those boys had professional careers only fleeting ones but the book goes back and tells what kind of happened to them and their their backstory so and now they've got that book that they can show to their kids and it you know so i think it's it is a sort of it's a special book to me anyway because it's my first book but actually it's about my friends it's about a particular time in our lives and i think what's been so nice about it is the feedback that i've had is so many people can relate to it because not necessarily just football but you know people in america who play what we call american football it's the same you know team sports we can kind of all people that have played them or people that have been involved whether it be as you know parents who take their kids to play at the weekend everyone who's been in that sort of world can relate to it so yeah it's special to me in that way and it's 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 what's called a sunday league team so what what does that mean so sunday league is a is an interesting sort of thing so in england um when football organised football first started, uh, the the football association, who were the you know the governing body of the of football, didn't want football being played on the Sabbath. But obviously, uh, a lot of men, particularly working class men, that was their sort of day off, their chance to, to play sport or what they wanted to do. So Sunday league started to emerge against the wishes of the FA. Oh, so oh, the yeah. League, yeah. So the league that we we mostly played in was called the Edmonton and district Sunday football league. And it's sort of believed to be the oldest Sunday league in the world, definitely in England. And England's kind of where organized football as we know it now started. So probably is the oldest league in the world. And yeah, these guys against the wishes of the FA to set up a rogue organization where people could form clubs, you know, and a lot of them were based around pub teams and different things like that. But yeah, it was like an organized league structure where you could have a match you Set up a team and play against other teams. So yeah, that's that's kind of what Sunday league is, and it's it is quite a, it's a subculture definitely. There's yeah. lots around it, you know. Sort of a lot of imagery springs to mind when you think of Sunday league sort of muddy pitches with dogs' mess on it that people have to do sliding tackles through or whatever it may be. Sort of referees getting shouted at, you know, and sometimes worse than that, sadly, but mostly just shouted at and you know, good natured banter and all that sort of stuff so it's a kind of special thing that definitely you, generally you probably start playing Sunday league football when you're around 10 and then yeah some people play it through to veterans there are veterans leagues so people you know in their 60s there's yeah. stories of old boys still playing you know right up until they can't walk anymore pretty much so it, yeah it's a, it's a subculture but it's quite a big one
0: yeah and 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 it's a million miles away from the Premier League and the Championship and, and all of the other big European leagues, even the MLS and the States. And I suppose it's the proper spirit or soul of the game.
1: Is, is that? Yeah, exactly. Is that yeah, exactly. I, you know, that's probably most of the professional clubs in England. The history of those clubs, if you take it all the way back, would have been amateur clubs set up by groups of friends. And obviously they developed into the, you know, huge... Um, sort of um, multinational companies that a lot of them are now, you know, um, but yeah, no, historically, that, that's what kind of it is the purest form of the amateur game that we, yeah.
0: And that's interesting, because you can trace a, a direct line or relevance between what happens at Sunday League right through to the premiership. So there will be commonalities. I mean, the, the pay is different, obviously, and the, yeah. uh, the, the prestige and the, the kit and the resources, but fundamentally, yeah. it's It's 11 men or women in terms of leagues playing football. It's the same game with the same rules.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, all all the things that you see on the television on the Saturday from the professional game, you'll see people trying to copy them on a Sunday, usually failing to, you know. But also some of the stuff like players diving or trying to con the referee, all that stuff, you know, Sunday league, yeah, it reflects what's happening in the professional game. But... Quite rightly, as you say, the financial rewards certainly aren't there. Yeah. You generally you pay to play Sunday League football because you've <laughs> got a.
0: So you must have that situation where people are playing because they love it and you yeah. know have a real passion, but that yeah. doesn't necessarily mean they're um, any good. So if, you care, <laughs> if you're running a team, that must be a constant dilemma, is it between those who are willing and those who are able?
1: <laughs> no, it definitely doesn't mean that you're any good necessarily. No. Um, I'd like to think that still, within Sunday League teams, it's still a meritocracy, you know. The best players should generally tend to play. But equally, if you've a lot of weeks you're struggling to get 11 players out because you might have some of the players who are suffering with a bad hangover that morning. So you have to draft in what we all know as ringers. And then, you know, you get a star ringer in one week who plays really well, scores the hat-trick that wins you the game do you then drop in the next week for the guy who had the hangover the week before? So, yes. yeah, there's a lot of... <laughs> yeah, well... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, so there's a lot of juggling, you know, that stuff goes on. But generally, it's more, you need, you need 11 players and you're sort of scraping around on a Sunday morning yeah. 20 minutes before kickoff, to see if someone's brother can drive down, you know, from wherever they might be to, yeah. to help you out, so, yeah.
0: And one of, one of the things that's always struck me is about... Sport and particularly football, I suppose, is the the re- euphoria around scoring your goal. Mm. And I mean, is that I mean, I mean, you do all the work, you do all the practice, you do all the you know, the drills, you do all the training, you do all that sort of stuff. I mean, how significant is the goal? Is it a pinnacle of achievement? I mean. Is it a release? How does that work? Because there's always such extre- there seem to be extreme celebrations, don't there? Mm. That you don't perhaps see in rugby so much, or no. or, or no. cricket, or other sports. So, so tell me a bit about that, because I'm guessing the this, the process is the same between in, a, in whichever league you play in. in yeah.
1: Now, I like that you've assumed that I've scored some goals in my time. Let's, let's start there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So um, no, I, I, it is an amazing feeling, and it is you know there's a lot of cliches around it um but actually yeah no i think it again partly because you're you're enjoying it you that that moment it kind of you're there with 10 teammates who are there to celebrate with you so you've already got that 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 sort of community around you to enjoy the moment with you especially if you scored a great goal and then you know every it's just this one and then when you're watching football being part of a crowd where you know, that feeling of maybe 40,000 people all wanting the same thing and then, you know, nearly getting it, maybe a, a, a great save by the goalkeeper or a shot hits the post and you're almost there. You're, you're out of your seat thinking you, you're about to have that celebration and then it doesn't come. Yeah. But then, you know, minutes later, it does, that, that sort of surge from a crowd when you're in a big crowd, when the goal goes in, honestly, I can't think of too many better feelings than that. Um, oh, yeah. I, I mentioned to you I went to the World Cup this summer in Russia yeah. Um, and yeah just you know to see people from different countries because I, I wasn't following a particular team at the World Cup we just went to see Russia because it's a place I've always wanted to go to fascinating mm-hmm. country amazing history but equally I've always wanted to go to a World Cup and to see people from Mexico from Peru, from Colombia, from Japan, Senegal wherever just that oh, Together, celebrating, and you you get wrapped up in other country stories, which is just amazing, you know, so w- we went to see colombia play and and my girlfriend uh, lived in Colombia, and she speaks fluent spanish and so you know suddenly I was sort of um i felt like an adopted Colombian for the day, and just the joy in that stadium was just the best and honestly i mm-hmm. I'd recommend obviously the world cup's going to the next one's in Qatar. I won't, go into that because that's probably a, another podcast but the World Cup after that will be in Canada Mexico and the US jointly yeah. and I really would say if you've got a chance to go to it, it mm. there's nothing like it it's sensational
0: mm. I must admit I mean, I'm not a big sports fan but I went to France 98 right. and I was um to see the England matches and um it, it struck me as really interesting how things like chance how they all work together Um, you know you have leaders who whip the crowd into a frenzy you have you know sort of almost it's it's almost like this um semi-structured process and i mean there's someone i've never really been before i didn't really understand all the sort of rituals but within seconds you're part of it and you're joining in and you're swept along and it's it's an amazing gathering point isn't it exactly
1: and i think that 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 sense of being able to sort of belong to something quite quickly and easily just by virtue of joining in with a song or or wearing your team shirt and going to support them. And it is a beautiful thing. It's special. There's not too many other outlets that sort of offer that, I I don't think. And that's why, you know, again, a lot's written about football and fandom and the cultures around the game. But I think that's why, because it is so rich. There's so much there. Mm. And, And I'm guessing, to go to the other side, the dark side
0: of it, I'm guessing actually yeah. the if the heights are high, the, the depths are low. That are, yeah, the depths are quite deep. I mean things like injuries and losses, penalty misses. I mean we yeah. talk about that in England, don't we? But I mean yeah. you see and you see you see um, groups of people obviously who don't get on so well. You see teams that aren't really a team and they don't they're quite dysfunctional, and they're trying to play together. And don't, you can see they don't really get on. So, yeah, yeah. so tell, tell me about that side of the, the game, because that's, that's actually where resilience comes in, is not the first civilian able to,
1: to dig deep. Yeah. No, definitely. I, I think in football, sort of the most interesting, one of those phrases that you often hear in, in the professional game at the, at the top level is, you know, that there's a lot about management and a lot of the top managers, people like Alex Ferguson, have written books that sort of now, you know, are, are used by people in management in other areas, and there's some wisdoms that cross over maybe some that don't so much, but um you know I think that thing of there's been a few times with the team that I support where where a manager's really embattled, you know you kind of know they're on their last legs, the results aren't going well, and the resilience to you know a lot of them I guess sometimes there's financial incentives for them not to just jack it in and walk away yeah. quit you know when someone there's times where the crowd are on their back, and maybe you know with social media now, they, it just they must be so immersed with everyone's views and hearing all this negative stuff. But to keep going and to try and turn it round, and you hear this phrase: "Oh, the manager's lost the dressing room," yeah. as in the players don't want to play for him anymore. Yeah. And to have people sort of talking like that who aren't really in that situation with you, you know, we as fans or as the media or whoever, we're not actually in the dressing room most of the time, although we might hear things and get indications, but it must be so hard to, you know, you're being judged when people don't necessarily exactly know what's going on and, you know, if you've got a set of players and, you know, they're, they're human beings at the end of the day, players get injured, so the key components of your team are injured or who knows, they may even be going through personal issues that, you know, never come out or the manager's kind of shielding them from, but that's obviously affecting them of
0: the
1: team it, yeah. yeah there's mm. so much going on in professional sport and I guess that's why it does captivate people yeah, yeah. And, it's, and it's
0: interesting because you look you watch uh, managers and players who are I mean almost bullied by social media and by fans and um, I remember a, a football player telling me once that football would be great if it weren't for the fans because actually some fans can be pretty pretty brutal pretty abusive yeah. Uh, yeah you know, vile. I mean, I remember the David Beckham scenario when, you know, he came yeah. back from that World Cup and that France 98. Yeah. And I mean, it, it, was, it was horrible. And the way, fa- you know, human beings were in the group together, that's a yeah. horrible side of any sort of enterprise, isn't it? When people sort of gang up each other, that bully. An individual. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and I suppose one of the things about that is if you're bullying an individual within a team, actually you, can, you as a team can pull together to sort of, you know, to, to, um, to gain some sort of collective
1: strength. Mm, mm, definitely and just just touching on the point you make there about about injuries i think you know I, i was saying to you it's it's almost and i i regret that it kind of took me being injured myself to kind of think about this more but you know i've i've been i go to a lot of spurs games um and, you know, you, you kind of expect the players just to turn up and perform whatever, um, but you don't, you don't kind of factor in. If someone's coming back from a, a nine-month injury layoff, how much sort of courage it takes for them to, to firstly get out on the pitch sort of physically, is, yeah. is my body going to break down again, you know? Mentally, the same, all the same questions... Is my body going to let me down? When you're an athlete, I would imagine, especially, you're so finely attuned to your body that, and you know, that's kind of your tool, really. That's your bread and butter. It's your physical ability. And once that sort of lets you down, if you have a big injury or something, that must psychologically rock you, definitely. but then you know as fans we don't really think too much about that we're just like well he's got the shirt on they get paid x amount per week whatever it may be get on with it but actually you know how much money you earn doesn't mean that you you know make you stronger necessarily well michael Um, michael owen was recently talking about the end of his career
0: and saying since he was injured he he was frightened to make fast runs yeah, yeah. And he spent many years being frightened of being found out because actually yeah. he couldn't really do the thing he was famous for doing. Exactly. Yeah, he, yeah. You know, yeah. He, that, must be, that must be a horrible way to earn your living, however much you're yeah. earning, when you're yeah. sitting in a situation where you're just frightened of being found out the whole time.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. And that, yeah. And so I think, I'm sure that the camaraderie and, you know, that, that sort of fraternity. Within squads must count for a lot, but equally, also, you know, in professional football, to some extent, they're in competition with each other because yeah. you, you know, you've, you want to start in place, you want to have the, the shirt, you want to play that, that week. So, yeah, it's that is something I've always found really interesting. It's kind of often, you know, there's a squad, so the manager's got to pick his best team. But he, you've got sort of below that the players who aren't necessarily in the first 11 waiting for their opportunity. And their opportunity will probably come around either by one of their teammates being injured or one of their teammates playing really poorly. Yeah. So that dynamic to manage that yeah. is fascinating really, isn't it? To think, you know, how do you, you've got to foster that sense of unity and team spirit, all the stuff we love. But actually there's competition within that. So yeah, no, Really interesting. So, so there's a lot of there's a lot of um, management books written, as you as you said,
0: and a lot of team building books written, and such like. <clears throat> in, in your experience, what what really does work as a transfer between sport and normal life, personal life, not necessarily business? Is there anything yeah. you've picked up over the years that have helped your written determination or resilience? Is there anything that you you could sort of point your back, back point, your, point
1: back to and say, yeah,
0: that came from sport or football
1: yeah definitely I do think so I mean I think determination you know there can be times when you're playing football and you you know the other teams better than you they've got better players than you but you just keep grafting you know you try and chase them you you do the work to shut them down or whatever it may be the sort of ugly side of the game where you just keep working hard for for your own pride really you know just to keep going and I think that does come through to you know Things, where things haven't quite worked out in my life, where we'll just keep trying you know yeah. see where a bit of effort takes you, and at least if it doesn't work out, you don't in the end make a miraculous comeback win. you know that you've still given it what you had you, you tried your best, and you can take something away from that. I think also not you know I've managed teams in my work in life, so being a captain of a football team and you know trying to motivate people. To, do, to give their, their best, try and get the best out of them. Definitely the first experience I had of that really was on a football pitch, you know, trying to mm-hmm. encourage people and say to, you know, as a, as a younger player sort of in my teens, trying to say to people, come on, you know, you're playing well, keep doing it, or come yeah. on, you can give us a bit more, that sort of thing. So, yeah, I, I definitely think I took that into, into yeah. life and work, definitely, yeah. That's interesting the way you put the first point about,
0: it's almost like integrity of... You know, if we can't win, we we play to our best, almost. and yeah. you know, you can look at yeah. yourself in the mirror the next morning, and that's interesting because the way you described your writing, actually coming back around to that, was very much that yeah. way, wasn't it? That I'm going to write every single day, and yeah. you know, if it doesn't work out, well, <laughs> yeah. you've sort of done the work,
1: haven't you? And that's yeah. that's really important, isn't it? It is, it is, and I, not to say that if it had, if I hadn't have got a publishing deal, I, I would have. Of course, I would have been gutted if it hadn't come to anything, but I still would have written it, you know, whether it got published, that kind of was a bit out of my control, but I would have known why I did it, you know, before I started writing, it was just an idea. And whether it, you know, whether I got to see it being sold in bookshops, I can't control that, but I know at least I've given it a chance and I've done my best. And, you know, I think it's good. So that, that counts for something, definitely, yeah. And it's one of those books which I think is, it's not just a story of that, you know, for people that are interested
0: in football. It's actually got, you know, quite, it's, it's uh, you know, it's got some great reviews. And all the reviews say it's not just a story of football. It's actually, you know, a story about the human spirit and, you know, that sort of stuff. And Triumph Against the Odds and, you know, the, the sort of things which are really interesting to read. Aren't there people? A bunch of people winning out.
1: Yeah, no, no, thank you, yeah, and sort of, and it's, yeah, it's the everyday kind of travails, the highs and lows of kind of everyday life, which I think we can all relate to, you know, whether it be sort of, because we were men, you know, from the books really set up sort of from our early 20s through to, to our 30s, and a lot happens in your life at that point, whether it be bereavements in your family, you know, people having kids, uh, divorces, whatever. It's kind of all those stories are, are told through, you know, us coming together every seven days to play a game of Sunday league football in the local park. It's kind of, yeah. So I think, yeah.
0: And you of course, and, and for, uh, for those of you who are interested in sport, Ewan's got um, um, a, a galaxy of um, media stars who reviewed the book and been very complimentary about it. Even Jim White. That's, Rare for him to be complimentary about anything, so that's pretty impressive. <laughs> but Ewan, if someone would like to have a look at um, the story and find the book, what, what, how can they get hold of it?
1: Uh, so as is the way nowadays, the easiest way is just to go onto Amazon um, and you could type in We Are Sunday League. Um, same with Waterstones or WH Smith. Uh, Amazon obviously shipped all around the world, um, so wherever you are, you can get it that way. Uh, I have a website as well, which is wearesundayleague.com dot uh, and there are some reviews on there of the book and an extract from it. Uh, you can see my beautiful face on there as well. Uh, yeah, so yeah, have a look there, and hopefully you'll enjoy it.
0: Brilliant. Well, um, I, I, I've downloaded mine, so I'm looking forward to. Uh, it's going to. It's one of my first books on um, my next trip, so I'm looking forward to having a mm-hmm. having a proper read of it. You've got me all inspired to to look at football, Um, um, (laughs) and one day I'll be a real boy, who knows? (laughs) The Veterans League, League, it's not too late. Oh yes, all right, with my dodgy knees. (laughs) And I'm I'm only 27, what do you mean, veteran? (laughs) (laughs) Oh yes, um, (laughs) remember? (laughs) Anywho, look, it's been brilliant talking to you, and it's been fantastic, and I wish you all the very best, and I know you're, as you say, um, embarking on the next stage, so I'm expecting to see at least another 10 books in the course of the next couple of years (laughs) or something. (laughs) So you take care. Thank
1: you very much. We hope you found today's podcast useful. If you did, why not subscribe and listen to our other podcasts? We would love it if you could leave us a review. To access our resilience coaching, contact us at info at qedod.com. And finally, if you'd like to download our free resilience ebook, go to qedod.com slash freeebook. Thanks for listening.